Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to the Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll be joined by our special guest, Jim Callis, today. We're going to talk about the Prospect Handbook. Yay, JJ. Prospect Handbook. This is going to be a little bit more self self-congratulatory than the average Baseball America podcast. But we're not keep listening. We're not just going to sit here patting ourselves on the back. That's not what this book's that about. Makes anybody put down but the you know, but but keep keep listening. The idea of this is that we want to explain further. There are some significant. There is a significant addition to the Prospect Handbook this year, I'd and we want to talk the, about it. I'd say this is the biggest change in the handbook since. Uh, the addition of depth charts back in nineteen, I mean two thousand two or two thousand three. So it's exciting that we've changed the prospect handbook for two thousand twelve. It's and it's a not, it's, it's it's not a fundamental change. Right. If you pick it's up really your handbook, a, it doesn't look entirely different. We just did, an added we're ranking feature. thirty players in each team with still and all that. It's an it's an added feature to this year's handbook, and we've hinted at it in past podcasts, and we've hinted at it online. But what we've done, JJ, we we've assigned. I think we've basically. M- measured the marketplace and measured our book and see what we do well and what we didn't do well. And one thing we did not do was provide any way that when you picked up the book in the past where you knew there's a giant gap between prospect six and prospect seven in this organization. Or, wow, this organization's prospects really are good all the way through 22. There, there was no real thumbnail way to do that. And now there is with the introduction of the Baseball America grade we have a grade and a risk factor assigned to all 900 players who are ranked in the prospect handbook. So, uh, and the ranking is on a 20 to 80 scale, and it's really more of a 40 to 80 scale because if you're not a 20 or a, if you're not a 40 prospect, you're not going to get into the book. Um, it's very difficult the idea to get is into that the book. We're, we're ranking putting, prospects, not all players. Right. There are plenty of guys who are 20s who are in the minor leagues, but they don't make the handbook. That's this year. Correct. I still think there may have been a year back with the Astros that we may have had a 35. I think we could have probably slapped a 35 on a couple players in this book, but I think we didn't want to do that the first time we, we had the book. And I think there's some White Sox or Indians players who could have gotten 35s. But uh, basically an example of a major league player who's a 35 to me is a guy like Alfredo Simone or a guy like Doug Slayton. Guys who uh, – Doug Slayton's a, a fungible lefty specialist – and Alfredo Simone is basically an up-and-down guy on a bad team. Those are 35s. So, you know, you don't want to be a 35. You don't want you don't want to look at your yeah. system and see 40s. Are, if you're but, a 20, you want to be a 35 because a 35 may actually get a cup of coffee. That's right. But the, the main point is we're, we're grading all these players, um, and we're using the 20 to 80 scale because that's what's most familiar, I think, to our readers, J.J. And then uh, taking our lead – from several major league organizations where we've talked to their area scouts about how they grade amateur players, uh, we've also slapped the risk factor on all these players, and, and, and that's really going from extreme, as this player is extremely risky and uh, safe, this player. So, so one number is not an OFP, but the one number, the, the 20 to 80 number, is a grade on their realistic ceiling. Right. And their, uh, with, with the understanding – I think that we are optimistic and that we like players, right. and we are uh, 
we're generally going to give be an. I would say we're going to have opt. It's an optimistic view of most of these players. Right. The reality but then the is risk... that there are more guys who have fifties in here. Which right. are what we're saying with fifty is is a fifty is a major league, a useful major league regular, maybe second division regular. Right. But it's someone who we look at and say that guy, if he reaches his ceiling, is going to, you know, log. 400 at bats. Yeah, we've basically got we've got it all defined here on page seven of the prospect handbook. And so we have a grade and we have a risk factor. Let's go over the grades real real quick because I think these are the risk factors pretty uh, self-explanatory and people know you could have had now some teams do a risk factor grade, some teams do a confidence grade. We decided to go risk because I think we're optimistic on the number grade, and I think on the risk we wanted to be a little bit more pessimistic. That's right. how I and that's how I, I thought about way. it in there my are, mind. If I remember correctly, I don't have it in front of me right now. I believe it's either three or four safes in the entire book. I think it's actually six. Six. I think we went to six because okay. like Lance Lynn is a six. Right. He's not a high ceiling guy, but he's a safe. safe. So there's like I think there. I mean, I said yeah, I said six. He's, he's a safe. safe. I think there's six safe players. Yeah, basically, in the whole book. every safe in the book, it's pretty much for one. I think, without exception, they have reached the big leagues. That's correct. And for two, they've already shown some sort of success at the big league level. Right. And we're not talking he went two for four with the homer in his one game. We're talking, you know, Matt like, Moore is a safe. Matt Moore is a safe because you know what? Look at the stuff he has. That's right. You look at he's a pitcher, so there's always a you know. He already flashed his but, ceiling. Actually, I mean, he was a number one starter for a playoff team. And dominated in And that dominated role. the future, you know, the AL champs. Right. So he's flashed the potential in the major leagues. So that's about as safe as it gets. But, you know, the real quick, to, to talk about the grades, I think we, we, I think we want to go over this. Uh, guys who got 75s and 80, and there's 180 in the book. It's Bryce Harper. Uh, guys who got 75 or 80 grades are franchise players and number one starters, such as Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, Roy Halladay. If we put that kind of a grade on a player, we think they have that kind of ceiling, we're and that's Mike Trout, Ma- saying, Matt Moore, Bryce Harper. That's we're basically not saying it. they're going to go to the Hall of Fame, right. but we are saying if you put an 80 on a guy, you're saying this guy has Hall of Fame potential. Absolutely, and I think uh, I, I think putting 75s and 80s on guys is not outrageous. Uh, right. uh, 65 to 70, number two starters, perennial all-stars in the mold of Chase Utley, Matt Cain, Matt Kemp, Adrian Beltre. Those are elite players. Those are 10 to $15 million a year players. Uh, that's a high grade. Uh, there are a lot of prospects who got 65 and 70s. Usually your number one prospect in a system got a 65 or a 70 if it's a good system. Um, 55 and 60 grades, first division regulars, number three starters, elite closers, closers guys like Jonathan Papelbon, uh, James Shields, Torrey Hunter, uh, guys who were good, high peaks, and also guys who sustained being good for a long time like a Torrey Hunter, again, Jonathan Papelbon. Um, 45 and 50s, most players are going to reside in this range. Uh, the high end, like J.J. said, the 50s, and especially if they have lower risk, are either second, are usually second-digit division regulars who have a little bit higher peaks than that. And then, you know, guys who are good eighth-inning relievers, fourth starters on playoff teams, the lower end, the 45s, are either good utility guys, back-end starters, you know, solid relief pitchers, guys like Jamie Carroll or Joe Blanton, Angel Pagan, those kind of players. And then you know, 35 to 40 are your backups, fifth starters, Relief specialist, that no, kind of player. It doesn't mean they can't be big leaders. They're not starters because I mean, we may. I don't think of at least as fit. We're saying in some ways that they're even a little bit beyond that. I would actually say no. See, we had forties who forty low are guys who are like thumb and lefties basically. Okay, yeah. That was pretty but, much but, one genre of the fifth right. starters. The fifth starter, the fifth starter is almost a sixth starter. Would be a way to put it. Also, though, it's like 
it's the guy who we yeah it's a good so you're a fifth starter on a bad team uh you know an example from an organization that i do is uh who's the guy from arkansas the, the uh, drew Sm- not drew smiley the guy the no, uh no the guy that the uh, astros have at arkansas who can't throw oh, dallas keichel dallas keichel's a definition of a 40 low he's never going to be more than a fifth starter if he's uh, andy van hecken those kind of guys, Andy Van Hecken's not in this book. Right. The thumbing lefty who really is only going to get a lot of big league time on bad teams. That's, that's right. a 40. The guy who, and he's more likely to get 20 starts than 31. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's a second division, fifth starter. I mean, that's as fungible as you get. Right. But, I mean, there, there are a lot of those guys in the book. There are a lot of 40 lows. It's a guy where they're close to the major leagues. They don't really have a plus tool. And... Uh, but but they're going to be but they have to be ranked because they've had minor league success. It's really that's pretty much the profile of the guys who got 40s. And almost anyone who's a 40 in the book is a low risk guy. Just there's almost without exception. Uh, that's the only reason they made it in. Right. So if you're and, a 40 high, you're probably not making the book. And we're going to bring Jim Callis on to talk a little bit about how you know. So the thing is, a 40 low can rank ahead of a 50 high. He could rank. Below the 50 right. high, there there's is, a lot of there's a sli- it's a sliding scale. The higher your grade is, the uh, you know the the uh, if you still have a lot of risk, you could rank below and, a guy with a lower ceiling and lower risk. You want to look at it because we're providing this data. If you want to look at it differently, if say you buy our prospect handbook for fantasy baseball or for right. you know sim league reasons, if you say my team's a long ways away from being good. And so I want to emphasize taking high ceiling, high risk. Right. You can take these numbers, interim and spreadsheet, you know, take the grades yourself and say, okay, I'm going to always err on the side of I'm going to take the 50 high over the 40 low or yeah. the 60 high yeah. over the 50 safe. If you're on team, you know, you can look at it or you can say, you know what, to me, floor is more, you know, I do Correct. care about floor more than ceiling. Well, then here you go. You want the 50 safe. More than the sixty high. That's right, and, and so, and in each writer, it depended. I think it depends a lot on the prospects too. I mean, sometimes, uh, so the, I, not all forty lows are created equal to to certain writers. So there's still some flexibility. But I also think that this really just gives a good, quick thumbnail sketch where you can look through your organization, especially just. I, I like talking about the Rangers in this regard. You look at the Rangers; their top three prospects, I think, are all medium risk guys. Uh, and then, f- well, five of their top six in the book, not counting you, Darvish. Uh, Who so would also Cody, be medium or lower he'd risk. He'd be a low risk for me. So you have Cody Buckle, Neil Ramirez, uh, Michael, Martin Perez, and Jerks and Profar are all mediums. The rest of their list, with two exceptions, are higher extreme. But that's their philosophy. They love the high-risk, high-reward player. When you're good at the major league level, I think you can do that even more. And this is one of the things, this is what we wanted to do with this addition to the book, is that a better way, a good way to explain it is that in the past, we've said this is a bad farm system. This is a good farm system. Yep. But at the same time, we also realize if we say that this guy's number nine in this list and this guy's number 18 in this list. Right. The logical way of hearing that is, is well, clearly the number nine guy over here probably is better than the 18 guy over here. Poor Hemplo, Zach Putnam just got traded. Zach Putnam's a 45 medium in the Indians list, and he's 10th. Well, their number 30 prospect, Jordan Smith, is a 45 high. There's not that much separation between those two guys. So I don't think Twins fans who are very upset that they – I bet you that if Daniel Turpin – if we if we graded Daniel Turpin, I don't think he's in the book. I should check the index. But I, don't, I think I think Daniel Pur- Turpin 
would have been close to a 45 high. So there's not that much difference between Daniel Turpin and Zach Putnam, and those are the guys that Kevin Sloy was traded for twice this offseason. Right, and so that's what we're yeah, what Turpin's this, not in the book. What this gives you the chance to do is, for instance, if you look at, say, that Rangers list, which yeah. is a really good list, and you compare that to, say, the White Sox list, what's going to jump out quite cl- quickly now is, is, oh, so what they're saying is is that number 25 in the Rangers list may be better. right the number five in the White Sox list. You can do that at a very quick glance this year. So uh, let's go ahead and bring Jim Callis on to talk about this. And, of course, Jim is our executive editor and started the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, and he edits it every year. So Jim joins us from uh, his home in suburban Chicagoland. So, Jim, thanks uh, for taking some time and being on the podcast with us. But, uh, obviously, uh, have you recovered, first of all, from the handbook, three, four weeks out from it uh, going to press? I have, I have. You know, the focus is now on the early draft preview. The, the the handbook seems like a distant memory. So that's good. We already move on to the next big project. Well, let's talk a little bit. To, we we in the setup, we talked about how this was probably the biggest change in the handbook since we added the depth charts, and it might be the biggest change we've done in the handbook just period. Um, talk to I guess tell our listeners and hopefully handbook readers a little bit about. Why we made the change and what you think the best thing about the grades and risk factor system is. Well, I think we just wanted to add more perspective on these guys because, it, you know, J.J. can speak to this in particular. You know, last year, J.J. had probably the most stacked top 10 of any top 10 we've ever had you know, with, with the Royals. And they had five of baseball's 25 best prospects. And I'm sure J.J. got emails because I got emails and I didn't even write the column. With people saying, you know, how can he put so-and-so at number five? And I, and I want to say, did you have Mike Montgomery was number five last year, J.J.? Right. Yeah, you know, like how can Mike Montgomery be number five? And the answer was somebody has to be number five. You know, they have five of the 25 best prospects. And I think by putting grades on these players, it gives you a better sense of exactly what we think of these guys. It, it puts guys in perspective within an organization. You know, if we would had grades a year ago, Mike Montgomery's grade, would have shown, hey, we really like Mike Montgomery a lot, even if he's number five on this list. You know, similarly, you know, in this year's book, you know, not all top tens are created equal, and we can tell fans that all the time. And I don't think that really drives the point home as much as seeing a grade. If you're looking at the White Sox top ten compared to the Nationals top ten or the Rangers top ten, and you could see the the guys at the back of the White Sox top ten have grades that you know, would have put him in the 21 to 30 or maybe not even on the top 30s for those other organizations. So I just think it puts a lot more perspective on the players by having a grade, you know, as to what, you know, it's a two-part grade, and you guys have already talked about this, a realistic ceiling on the 20 to 80 baseball scale, and then how much risk is involved with the player. And it's, you know, I, I think it's it's the biggest change we've ever made, John, and, and JJ, because it's certainly a lot more work. When we add the depth charts, each depth chart is is unto itself. I mean, you're listing additional players beyond the top 30. With the grades, we, you know, and I'm sure you know we we didn't quite get all 900 synced up perfectly, but you know we're trying to make sure the grades really made sense. You know, we, we put a lot of time into it, but you know, and I think of how much time we put to. But, you know, we're trying to make sure the grades make sense not only within the organization but without. You know, we can't just you – know, I think the grades all flow well. I think we did sync them up within the organization so the grades all make sense and flow in a natural order from 1 to 30. But then we're also trying to make sure that they, they made sense from one organization to the next. And I think we did about as good a job as we could have that, but, but it took a lot more time than putting 30 depth charts together. And, and the thing with that that jumps out is, is 
it also ended up being useful. I think it made it a better book for us when we were putting it together because it did make us think a little further about you know how we had guys ranked because I know I mean we Jim and I were going back and forth on this all through the final kind of weeks of the of the handbook. Hey, we have this guy ranked here, but you know what? If you look at this guy in another organization, that's pretty sem- pretty much the same guy, and he is ranked higher or lower or whatever. That's right. It would make us kind of reassess it. And sometimes what that would mo- mean is that we would have to then say, okay, well, this guy actually has to rank higher or lower once we do that. You know what? Let's reassess this. This guy probably does deserve to be a little higher. Yeah, I think we had that happen uh, a lot with relief pitchers, actually. That was one of the toughest genres of players to really adjust on the grades, Jim, because I think one of the things with a lot of minor league relief pitchers, first of all, we know they're relief pitchers, so we know their grades can't be too high. But at the same time, a lot of those guys throw really hard. If you're grading them out on their tools, you're like, wow, this guy's got a plus-plus fastball, and a lot of these guys have plus breaking balls or one really good secondary pitch. And they just don't throw a lot of strikes or they haven't had a lot of track record of success in the minor leagues or they're injury prone. You know, uh, so those, delivery, those, it makes you cringe. That, that's right. So those guys, I think, were the toughest ones to grade. They're always the toughest ones to rank, Jim. And frankly, for me in the past, ranking relief pitchers has always almost kind of been like a gut feel kind of thing. I believe in this guy. I don't believe in that guy. Like Jose Maharis is an example of a, a reliever that I ranked high and I don't regret. He's had a pretty good career to this point. Um, and then like a guy like a Pat Neshack in the same organization, I ranked fairly high. He did have some immediate success, but really in the grand scheme of things, he probably shouldn't have been a top 10 prospect. So I, I thought that the grades helped us the most on relievers to unify those. But those guys are also the toughest to really line up and the toughest ones to grade. Yeah, although you know, J.J. kind of had an epiphany late in the process of putting the book together where – he kind of came up with a, a formula that I thought worked, you know. Right. And, and I, I wanted to say off the top of my head that if you know, we, we thought you had a chance to be a future closer, you were a 55. If we thought you were a future setup man, you were a 50. And if we thought you were more of a future mineral reliever, you were a 45. And you know, relievers are important, but the tricky thing, like you said, John, when you're ranking these guys too, is is one, you know, point to Nishek, who had two pretty good seasons before he got hurt, is you know the, the strain of being a big league reliever and pitching and warming up as much as you do. A lot of those guys don't have long careers because their arms just blow out. And two, a lot of very, very many of the, the better big league relievers, not just the closers, but the setup men, even some of the middle relievers, uh, were starters in the minors. So you know, it's you know, we weren't you know, if, if a guy's already relieving in the minors, like you said, it's kind of a gut feel. You know, that we we already recognize that hey, there's some limitations to this guy. There are very very few closers who come up through the minors as closers, you're like, okay, you know, that guy's going to be a lights-out closer. Usually the lights-out closer is the starter who has a real good arm but can't develop his secondary pitches or his command to the point where he can start. It's not like you have an obvious, hey, this guy's going to be a dominant closer for 10 or 15 years. Uh, you know, that just doesn't happen very often. And, and the other thing with that is is that we realized by doing that, we were probably more accurately reflecting as far as our rankings the value to – Clubs, too, because we've had multiple clubs tell us, you know, a, a reliever, even a power arm reliever, we're, we're more likely to be looking for a starter. You know, if we can get a starter in a trade, we're much more excited about that than a reliever because the starter can almost always end up moving to the pen if things fall apart. Whereas if the reliever can't handle it, then you pretty much don't have anything is one way I've had explained to me. But and I think that that's those are rankings that jumped out that and. 
with this also, now we did not do kind of position bumps. <laughs> And we had some people suggest that. We talked about it. Well, no, I think we did take into it. I think we cut you more slack, though. If you're a shortstop or a catcher, I think our standards for making you a solid regular or or whatever the specific number was were. So I think we actually did kind of give those guys a bump when we were putting the grade. I don't think we, as a matter of fact, said every shortstop and catcher is plus five. But we did give those guys higher grades in general well, because of this. We had talked about position. that. The that standard. was actually one of our first ideas was maybe every catcher and shortstop should get a five-point bump. Uh, you know, half because grade of the value basically. of of how Im- uh, of how important they are, and but you, I think the the way to explain it is is that we have lower offensive standards for those positions because we know that you if you can handle the position defensively, you're, there's not going to be nearly the same expectations on you offensively that there are at other positions, and it also means a guy like a Profar or a Machado. That's a, another reminder of how they're going to grade really high because they're guys who can handle it defensively and offensively. Here's a, here's another question for you, Jim. Uh, in the front of the book, we have our our personal top 50s. Uh, we gave Bryce Harper the only 80 in the book. Did you have any hesitancy about doing that, considering that you didn't rank him first or even second on your personal top 50? No, I mean, it, the two guys I had ahead of him were both 75s, and I think there's a little bit less risk involved. I, I want to say we gave Harper a, an 80 safe, He's or we gave him low. an 80 low, and yeah. we gave Trout and Moore 75 safes. And as we were doing this, I think we all kind of looked at the grades. I mean, I'm sorry, the risks is, you know, five, roughly, you know, like to me, there's roughly a five point difference between safe and low. That, that difference is equivalent to the difference between 75 and 80. So, right. You know, 75 low or 75 safe is another way of saying 80 low. You know, we we could have we could have knocked Harper's ceiling down a tick and knocked down his risk a tick. You know, to me, an 80 an 80 low is the same as a 75 safe. You know, you know, a 50 medium is the same to me. You know, roughly is a 55 high. It's kind of a different. You know, and a lot of these guys, I, I think, as we were going through this. You know, the first couple teams to do were 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 harder once we got rolling. But in some guys, I, I think the grade jumps out at you first, and in other guys, the risk jumps out at you first. That's a great way to put it. Once, um, once we it, kind of figured out that sliding scale, like you're talking about, that there these two guys might be equal big leaguers, but one of them has a higher ceiling and one of them has less risk. Or yeah, I, you know, or one guy's further along the development path than right. the other. Like you know, I think with the with the Phillies, with you know Larry Green. You know, I think on almost all the, the non-first-round picks, the majority of non-first-round picks from the last year's draft in the book, we, we kind of fell into giving those guys a 50 high for the most part. Th- that was a standard grade. You know, maybe uh, you, know, you got a 50 medium if you were an advanced college guy, but those were 50 high. But when you think of Larry Green, who's got a ton of power, but there's also a lot of swing and miss, and there's a lot of mixed opinion on him. When I thought of Larry Green, the first thing that popped in my mind was not what number should he get, but that guy's an extreme. And then if he's at extreme, well, if he's not a 50 high, if we're going extreme, then he's more of a 55 extreme. Yeah, he's got big time. I mean, if you had the biggest power in the draft, uh, you're a little bit different. And Larry Green, I think that's the thing, the thing that the system allows us to do is have some flexibility to treat a player like a Larry Green and a player like a Trevor Bauer, who are both out of the same draft, and they're completely different players. And to put them on the same kind of continuum, which is not easy to do. I don't think it's easy to compare players who are that different. But I think that's what the grade actually allowed us to do. And it helped us rank, I think, 
players within a, within a I think it's going to help us with our top 100. I know it helped me with my personal top 50. I think it's going to help us when we rank organizations, which we really you know we did in the book, but obviously the, a lot of those rankings already have blown up because of a lot of trades this off season and other signings. And and the thing that it does allow you to do if you purchase the prospect handbook is, in the past, the handbook has given you the rankings, and if you want to, you could sit there and kind of read the reports and try to put together your own top 100 or your own whatever. Or if you rankings, want to whatever. Now, if you want to now, you enter these into a spreadsheet, you could put together your own top 900, essentially. because And it wouldn't be actually, let's be accurate, it wouldn't be the top 900 because the reality is, is that That's the right. top 900 aren't going to include some, there's some White Sox and Indians players who wouldn't be in the top 900 prospects in baseball. That's right. But if you want to go 500 deep or whatever, it's there. The tools are now there. We're telling you at least in a way that here's our opinion. Now, admittedly, you get to down – you're around number 300, and it's a whole lot of 50 highs. Yeah. And you have to order those – you know, you – No doubt. You, that's a group of guys. That and, being said, it's there. It's now – we're giving you the tools. Like I do think that this allows you to dig in deeper with the book than you were able to as a reader as well because you can obviously disagree with some of our grades, and that's kind of one of the fun things about the about doing this. You read the report, and you may go, oh, no, to me this guy is higher risk than they're saying or whatever. The, the report's there too. You, you got somewhere between 550 words on the number one prospects of the scouting report or 200 words on most everyone in the book. So right. the scouting report's there. You can make your own judgment from that, but – it also gives you that quick you know, number and risk. It gives you two, basically two pieces of information that from that you can go off in a whole lot of different directions with it. I think the other important thing, Jim, for people to remember is that this is not an OFP. The way we wrote it, it's a measure of a prospect's value and attempts to gauge the player's realistic ceiling. So we're really saying when you're putting an 80 on Bryce Harper, you're saying that he's, his potential is greater than anybody else's in this book is essentially what we're saying. Um, that's kind of the way that I we trouble when we pitched it at the start because I think it's important for people not to throw. Then I think that we're saying an eighty that he's a top of the line perfect player. He's a top of the line prospect, obviously. If you, but if you graded out his tools, he wouldn't have an eighty UFP. That's right. We, nobody would. I mean, I know I've seen uh, scouting reports that people have put on. You know, I've seen uh, OFPs in the seventies and the low seventies. Right. I think Steven Strasburg had what like a seventy-two, seventy-three OFP on uh, one of the reports I saw. Um, but so we're not saying that Bryce Harper is the perfect player, but we are saying that he has the highest ceiling of everybody in this book. And and again, the, one of the ways that jumped out, that jumps out is, is that our grades and these are, are done at at increments of five, right? If they were OFPs, they would be, yeah, in single digits, there would be 71s and 52s. That's right. And we'd still be determining them. The book would not be back from the printer for what we're doing. I don't think an OFP would necessarily be as useful because the reality of it is, is that OFP is a grade of the tools. It's a, a compilation That's of right. their tools. That's right. We're trying with this. It's a little different. It is a little different. We're trying to say the fact that this guy has a great throwing arm that would up his OFP, yeah, but okay, that doesn't change his ceiling that much. And what do you think, I guess, Jim, about uh, – maybe this might be the last question before we let you go um, – do you, how do you see this maybe evolving in the future? Have you got any feedback on it? Or do you, do you think well, I don't think anybody's really seen the book, so because we just started shipping, so I haven't gotten feedback on it. But um, 
I think next year we we I, I know you and I talked about this, John. I think the first two teams we put grades on in this year's book were the Phillies and Marlins, and then we Correct. went back and it seemed like we were revising a few of those. And um, I, I just think it'll be easier in, in the future. Now we've done it once. We kind of have a baseline on a lot of these guys. I know on on some teams where if maybe you have a good player, a really good player at the top of the list, we went back and found, uh, you know, in the middle of the process, like, oh, their grades for their guys in the middle might be too high because the guys at the top, you know, we had more wiggle room. You know, the the top guy wasn't – he he was a 75 or 70 instead of a 60 or 65, and so maybe this number 11 guy shouldn't be a 55. Maybe he should be a 50, but – I, I'm interested in what kind of feedback we'll get on this. Like I said, I, I think the best thing about it, whether somebody agrees or disagrees with the grades and with 900 grade, I mean, people disagree with our rankings. They're going to disagree with the grades too. It's right. that that's the fun. There's, there's no definitive answer on this stuff, but again, I, I think it helps you put these guys in perspective. I just, I, I randomly have the, the galleys open on, uh, on the Marlins page and you know, like Nola Perio, number eight is a 50 high. And number nine is Scott Cousins. He's a 45 medium. And you, somebody may think, well, Scott Cousins, come on, that guy's been in the big leagues. He's better than Noah Perio. But now you get a, you get a little bit more sense as to why we like Noah. You know, we, we think Noah Perio 50 roughly equates to a guy who's got a chance to be a solid regular. 45 is more of a you know kind of fourth outfielder platoon platoon type player. Now I think you in, in a snapshot. You get you get a quick reason why we did put the the guy who's a low A second baseman over the guy who's a big league outfielder. And you get a sense, I think, immediately if you're a Marlins fan of going like, "Well, I'm glad we spent a lot at the major league level because our minor leagues we have a a fourth outfielder type at number nine. We have a fourth outfielder in our in our <laughs> in our top ten. That's a bad sign. It instantly tells you this is not a great farm system. And yeah, if I see a 45 in my top ten, that's not making me feel too good. I mean, I, I think ideally in a good farm system. You probably would like to see most, you know, you know, fifty fives and maybe a fifty or fifty medium, or, you know, or something at the bottom. But but yeah, that's not good to see forty fives in your top ten. Uh, to wait to give an example of of what the usefulness of this is, two teams are pretty close together. I did the Royals, so the Royals are ones that jump out to me. Okay, we just talked about Noah Perio's a fifty high. He's number eight in the Marlin system. Uh, Humberto Ardiaga is number 29 in the Royals system. He's a 50 high. That's right. What we're saying is, is That's that right. those two guys are in the same class of prospect. And so what we're saying now is is that from that is is that we haven't had a way in the past to say there's nothing that made it obvious in the handbook that we're That's saying right. that, you know what, on the continuum of breaking prospects, Humberto Arteaga is in the same class as Noah Perio. Just the fact that this guy made a top 10 doesn't make him a better prospect. I mean, in Toronto, an organization that's known for its depth, I think the average, if you follow prospects at all, you know the Blue Jays have drafted a lot of players, signed a lot of players the last couple of years with upside. They've been very aggressive, and they have good depth. Christian Lopes, their number 29 guy, is a 50. He could have ranked as high as 8th in the Marlins list, just on the grades. I mean, I'm, there's some guys who are below. He, he probably would have ranked a little bit lower. Noah Perio's in low Class A, but... The profile there is they're pretty the similar. Same, but they're the they're both group. offensive second basemen, and uh, Noah Perio's done it in full season ball. Christian Lopes hasn't, but yeah, that that that, that does tell you very quickly. You you could have figured that out in the past. You just would have had to read the 200 word scouting report. And we want you to read that scouting report, but now we give we're giving you a thumbnail sketch that gives you a snapshot of a farm system a lot better. I I think the next evolution actually, Jim will. 
the way that we need to figure this out, I think first off, I'm hoping that next year we can add one more grade of extreme. <laughs> there's, there, we talked we about, talked about splitting up like the mash guy versus just the raw guy. Some guys are extreme because of their injury history. Some guys are extreme because of they're so because of their Larry Green. They're so raw. They're or, so... or they're the 16 year old Latin player who's right. yet to play in the U.S. I think that's a different they're... level extreme than the guy who. He's had four injuries, and he's in double A. So I think there's gradations of extreme. I don't want to chop it up too finely, but I think we could maybe just do, like, MASH versus extreme for Raw. But my what I'd like to work on for next year, just as presenting it, is on that two-page spread when you first open up your team, and you have the number one prospect, the overview on the left-hand page, and the uh, the stats on the right-hand page. I would love there just to be that chart. Maybe that top 30 chart goes on that right-hand page somehow, and it just has, here's the top 30 guys, Here's their grades and OF. Here's their grades and their uh, risk factors, and here's like an average at the bottom. Uh, just a little snapshot like that would be a great and trust, incorporation and next say, year. This is one of the things when we were looking at when we we're looking at their talent rankings and all. Now, this plays a part in it. Yeah, the org I, rankings. I, I, yeah. The Blue Jays are a great example for that. The Blue Jays, what jumps out, you know, and you can rank organizations different ways. Again, we're giving you tools. You can do it in different ways, right? Because one of the ways you can rank it is that depth is very important. Yeah. If you do that, the Blue Jays rank very high. You like star power? They're going to be other. Yeah. The, like the Blue Jays power, are not going to rank as high. The Blue Jays aren't going to rank as high because it's a very good farm system. But the reality of it is, is they lack. They don't have a top ten prospect, and they lack, and they don't have a whole lot of, of prospects who are sitting in their top twenty. So. Well, the Padres. Not. The Padres are a great example of that, where it's depth over star power. Even after the trade like for compare, the Matt Latos trade, you compare the Padres to the Rangers. The Padres may have, you know, the Padres probably have more depth. The Rangers have two guys who are going to be in our top ten. Yeah, no doubt. And that's are likely to be in our top ten. That's and the difference. They probably have three or four or five in our top fifty potentially. Right. And so. that's the difference. And so it, I know, like doing the Royals list, what jumped out to me after I did it was like, oh, this list is still better than I was thinking. Like I knew it was good. But when I started comparing it to other organizations, and you realize, oh, number 29 on this list is a 50 high. There are a whole lot of organizations where a 50 high, you'd be thinking about the top 10. And just to go back to the Royals at the top, Jim, I mean, me, you, and JJ all had different guides at the top of their list. Well, Mike Montgomery has a 65 medium. Bubba Starling is a 75 extreme. And Will Myers is a 65 medium. All three of those guys could have ranked number one. Uh, Mike Montgomery was the guy that JJ chose. It's JJ's top 30, and and he's number one. But I mean, Bubba his grade Starling, is the yeah. same grade as Will Myers, and and basically the same as Bubba Starling. I, mean, I think you really lets you line those three guys up. I, I love the Bubba. I think Bubba Starling is the only 75 extreme in the book. Yes, he he's only one of. There's not many 75s in the book, and he, I think he's one of four 75s in the book. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> so what we're saying with him is is that yes, the sky's the limit. But at the same time, you throw the extreme on there because. The other 75s in the book are much more likely to reach their 75 than he is. That's right. Anything else you wanted to add to the book, Jim, uh, to, the, to the handbook discussion? Uh, well, you know, we should probably tell people. I, I just got a, a Twitter question after you, you, had your, you tweeted that we were podcasting. If somebody orders the book from us today, which is January 25th, when will they get it? Because we, we've, we've shipped all the pre-orders already now, right? Yeah, I, all I know is that uh, we shipped on Monday and people started receiving it today. Now, Robbie Gerganis, who tweeted at me, is a BA photographer, and he works at the post office. So he might have gotten his a little sooner, but that was two days. He's in North Carolina. So I just think it really depends on where you live. Uh, I don't know where your Twitter 
uh, well, here at Kyle Schnitzer. I don't know where Kyle Schnitzer lives, but I would say within Albany, a week, New York. So I would say within a week is where is when Kyle will get it. So it, and and as we've said before, reasons to buy it from us. Um, okay, this is the advertising portion of the podcast. If you purchase it from us, you will get it first because if you're buying it anywhere else right now, they don't have it yet. You know that we don't have really control over that. It goes from the distributor to the publisher. You know all that. Yeah, I got but a question about Amazon.com. I can't. Those, I have no idea. When all they we know ship. is is it's usually several weeks before they get theirs in hand. So if you order from us, you're going to get it sooner. If you order from us, you're going to get also the 30 additional uh, prospect reports because we do the 30 the 31st prospect in every organization. So you're going to get that additional scouting report. Thanks. A couple of those guys last year. Uh, you know, ended up are very are much more prominent in this year's book. Thankfully for Jim, none of those guys got grades. We didn't grade those guys. But, and then the the third thing is is that if you order it from us, you also get if you're not a subscriber to you know now you get the top hundred prospects issue. We're going to send that to you because it's so tied in with this. And if you are a subscriber, what it essentially will do is is it'll add an additional issue to your subscription. So that's kind of cool. So there's. There are multiple reasons to get it from us, but the main reason I'd say right now is is that it's here. We have it in our hands, and if you want it, you want it now. Order from us, and and we'll have it very shortly. Sounds like a good question and uh, and a good answer. Uh, of course, you can if you haven't ordered it already. Baseballamerica.com/store or 800-845-2726. The website and the store are getting a significant overhaul in the sh- in the near term. So I would advise. Uh, I would probably actually call. Uh, that, that operators actually are standing by. But before we wrap this up, I did also want to mention that we we came to this idea. One of the things we try to do with things like this is we we think of these ideas, we try to brainstorm them, but we also do run them by people in the industry. And I, I think the response that we got was generally quite favorable. The other response we got was, "You're going to do that for all 900 guys." <laughs> That's really? right. Yeah, that was one of the last calls I made actually when I ran that by a front office official in a club and he was like yeah we wouldn't do that we won't have that we won't have that many grades so and that's and and that's one of the things that i mean it, it was a daunting task but i have to say it was also as sitting there crunching this in a spreadsheet for 2 weeks it was about as enjoyable as as you can be because we love prospects and this was quantifying prospects in a way we haven't done before it was fun I think it was a lot of fun. I think it's a great addition to the book, and uh, I'm really excited about it. And one of the things I like about it the most is that it was not like one person, or we implemented it as a whole team. We had a lot of fun emails going back and forth. I just, and I think that that again, that collaborative approach is one of the things that I like the best about the handbook. And I I, I just right, we, think it uh, makes a great product better. We, we had fun arguments. I mean, there were we really fun did. arguments about no, no, this is a sixty. That's not a sixty. You know, we were going back on well, how much do you value relievers? There were different ways that we were kind of going back and forth and and really uh the best way to put it is, is that the final product is definitely not what we started with which is a good thing yeah i, well, I think I, we'd still be tweaking the grades if we had time i mean there was stuff we <laughs> we found even that the day was going to the printer we're like hey you know looks like this team the grades are maybe five points too high you know here in the middle and but it would have necessitated tearing up the order and we're like ah we're gonna have to you know just stick with that one but i think 
I think it's going to be a lot easier to do the grades going forward now that we've done them once. And I, and I think the bottom line is it makes the book a lot better. And just so you know, John, I did do grades on the supplement. I don't know if they made it into the supplement, but but prospects 31 for every team or the 31st prospect for every team, all those guys actually did have grades when I sent the edited file to Durham. So That's funny because when I edited it, I remember talking to Will about it and asking about grades. And I thought I edited the final version and they did not have grades. I could be wrong. Well, we'll we'll all be surprised when the when the supplement comes in. Um, like we said, it was a it's a big project. Uh, I don't think any clubs are ranking 930 players, which is similar, really, Jim, to the response we get in the draft. When we write up more than 500 players and list close to a thousand players every year in the draft preview, most clubs tell us no, we don't have that many guys. Well, and that's the thing is, is that we <laughs> we have to clubs have a laser focus, and we have to have more of a Kind of a, a broad, you know, a broad outdoor lamp That's you know, right. focus. That's I mean, right. it's casting, for, you know, a street lamp. Because for teams, they don't need to rank 900 players. You need to rank, you know, you need to rank your own players to that level. You know, like they're they're probably ranking deeper in our, their own. Although I've known from talking to teams in the past that, like, I've talked to teams and I'm like, hey, you know, so what would you, how would you do it? And I've had teams kind of come back to me with, well, here's you know, what we came up with. And that right. was really useful for us because we hadn't right. really sat down and done that. That's right. That's right. And so, so, I mean, it's not something – it's a little different even that. But then you go beyond that and you start talking about ranking other teams' prospects. And they have kind of their own boards, but they a lot of times aren't going to go 30 deep. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very they, And they don't have to rank them necessarily and say this guy's 12, this guy's 13. They may have – six prospects in whatever system they're looking at that they value about the same. And, you know, if they get into trade talks, then they'll narrow it down a little bit, whereas, you know, we give you a definitive list. And definitive, I think it is, uh, mostly owing to uh, the hard work that you put into the book. I mean, everybody does, but obviously you're the the handbook overlord really should be your title. So kudos to uh, Calisdini for his tremendous work on the prospect handbook and uh, looking forward to tremendous work on the 2012 draft class. Thanks, Jim. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Okay, talk to you later. We're back uh, with J.J. Cooper and John Manuel. Uh, thanks, Jim, again for taking the time with us, a little spur of the moment, but talking a little handbook. Not hard, I don't think, for Jim to talk handbook. Not hard for us to talk handbook, J.J., but uh, I do think, like we, like Jim said, it's probably the biggest change we've ever done in the, pro- in the history of the prospect well, handbook. I think it's the most useful change because, again, I, I keep hitting on this, but we want this handbook. I, we put a whole lot of work into it. The way that we I, want it to be something that you use year throughout the year. But beyond that, we know if you're reading this handbook, you're interested in prospects. That's right. And we want to give you tools. Essentially, you can create like again, you can disagree with us on rankings, See, but you is, can also create like now across spanning across teams. This is a JJ and John uh, difference right here, which is interesting. I'm a Mac guy because <laughs> a I'm not that computer literate. Right. B so they're easy for me, but. I'm I'm more of a closed source kind of guy in some ways, but JJ's open source, and this is a way that I actually am open source because I look forward to readers going through the book. I've already noticed. I'll I'll actually say this in the podcast. There's one inconsistency with the grades that I've noticed, and it's with the Indians where Tyler Sturdivant. A there's a mistake. He's listed as an LHP, and that's that's MLB Advanced Media's fault. B, we didn't catch that as an edit. I remember him from his days at New Mexico State. Tyler Sturdivant's a right-handed pitcher. We list him as a left-hander. But his grade does not, cor- it does not correspond with whether he should rank compared to Elvis Araujo. 
Elvis is a 50 extreme. A 50 extreme can go above a 45 medium. It can. Now, it doesn't have to, but it can. You're right. It can. Well, well, I, so it's not even a mistake. I don't know why I thought that was a mistake. I guess I was thinking he was a 45 low. No, but Tyler Sturdivant is basically Zach Putnam. <laughs> They're right. basically and, the same we guy. We actually have – I mean, the funny thing is is that we have a 45 medium followed by a 50 extreme followed by a 45 medium, which is a reminder. These I just are, completely goofed on that. These are Thank all you. kind of – and again, that's one of the things we talk about this being open source – I, when I was, I was kind of our great ombudsman. So I was sitting there. <laughs> Easy for you to say. You know, and going, okay. Which hey. was an awesome job that you did on that, by the way. But that was, was not something easy. where I was looking at, okay, putting everyone in and then saying, this guy, that guy's grade, and this guy, those seem like similar guys. They should have the same grades. Or more importantly, it was even was, we have a 50 high ranked behind or ahead of a 50 medium. And, and that usually, can't happen. And then usually what happened with that was, I think a lot of times it was like, Either a 2011 draft pick that we maybe were a little bit too rosy on in terms of his grade, like Jim talked about. We want to be consistent with those draft grades for for 2011 right, like draft picks. Two guys who are back to back third rounders, right? Who they were considered to... coming in to be similar guys third rounders. Right. They shouldn't be dramatically different grades. Correct. And then the other part of that, I think, again, was just uh, being consistent with relief pitchers, and that was really the kind of the epiphany. And I'll tell you, Jim talked about it. The first two teams we did were the Marlins and the Phillies, and because we had the idea, worst two teams to pick to start. Th- those are the worst ones to pick. The <laughs> absolutely worst. I mean, that was that made us, I think, question the idea of doing the 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 grades in a way because the Marlins are twenty eight and the Phillies are twenty seven. And the Phillies are, and, and they're, they're two and, entirely. They got to their left. They got those rankings entirely different ways. And they're opposites. The the Phillies are a high risk, high reward system, and the Marlins are. Hey, you want a sixth inning reliever? Want a fourth or fifth outfielder? Want a spare in, infielder? We're your team. I mean, that's the Marlins farm system. So they're just complete opposites, and it was really difficult. They were just so, they were just such extremes, JJ. That was really hard to get a handle on this ranking system when we started with those teams. And the things that were useful for us was we knew going in. I think it's safe to say, and this was especially pre, they've made some trades that helped them, but we started this book with the uh, pretty safe assumption, White Sox are going to be 30. That's right. That's right. Just looking around, looking at what they had and saying, okay, I feel pretty confident they're going to be number 30. What jumped out, though, is, is that like we got through doing the Indians list – and it is speaking of sixth inning reliever, you know, after oh, sixth yeah. inning reliever, and you're going, you know, this list isn't that different from that White Sox list. Well, having done the White Sox chat and done, you know, preparing a little bit to sub for Phil Rogers, I got to know the White Sox list a little bit better than I thought I would, and it's really two different approaches. The White Sox actually, I think, have more upside than Cleveland has, shockingly, at least in terms of. Going down their system, there's a little bit more upside with the White Sox. Not much, but a little bit. The White Sox, the Indians really are the kings of middle relievers. That's the strength of their system, and that's a bad thing to be strong in. And uh, that, to me, that you know what else? Another team that jumped out to me, JJ, actually, was the, your Reds. There's real upside in the Cincinnati Reds organization because the, their top eight are all 55s and 60s, and then Zach Cozart, one of the few safes in the book. It made me like the red system even better. Was the and grades? This will give you an example of we have side by side Amir Garrett and Yorman Rodriguez. That's a great example. When we talk about extremes, like Amir Garrett, this is the, to me like when we talk about gradations, I wouldn't mind there being another level. Right. If there's extreme, and then there's hey, I got this email from these Nigerian guys saying that they've got some money that they want to send me. <laughs> 
I mean, it's extreme to a level because we don't even know. I mean, depending on how his basketball career goes, right? He may throw. He could throw twenty innings in his career. And as we were doing the book, Amir Garrett was taking extra classes online and, in, have, and to make to sure he could play. Exactly, he would right. qualify but, for St. John's. Plus, a small factor in the back of my mind was. His college coach that recruited him was going through like cancer treatment, Steve Lavin. What if something happened with Steve Lavin's health? Maybe Amir Garrett says, you know, I don't want to go to class anymore. The coach who recruited me isn't here anymore. I'm going to just go play baseball. Right. So that's on the one end you've got. I mean, he right. is – there is – we're talking about a guy who didn't play high school baseball his senior year. That's right. Completely different who, levels of gradation the, of, the, of risk. Of When you talk about like, okay, well, what did you see from him? Well, he'd throw one pitch, and it was 96, yeah. and he located it. And then he'd throw the next pitch, and it was 88, and it was ugly. So you're talking about a guy a long, long, long way away. However, stuff-wise, his stuff is, you know, he has the chance to have some of the best stuff in the red system. That's right. You compare that to Jorman, Jorman Rodriguez. He's played full season ball. Played full season ball, much more of a track record. Still a teenager, right? Still, Still very young. But the thing with him is, is that, Awful year last year, especially you know there was questions about effort. There were questions about yeah. I don't, don't want to get the I don't want to get the explicit tag, but he's a POS according to some scouts. Right. Well, <laughs> the the reality of it is is those are two different extremes, but they are they are extremes. Now, the thing that having two, if we just had had a BA grade, Amir Garrett would screw us all up. That's right. He'd because be in the top if ten. If you just said ceiling, and I you know. And that's one of the things I think year by year we've tried to be even more and more cognizant of is, okay, let's let's take it easy a little bit. We want to emphasize that this guy has a very high ceiling, right. but we also want to talk about that likelihood. The, the likelihood of Amir Garrett reaching his ceiling is much lower even than, than Jorman Rodriguez. But at the same time, that ceiling is even you know, potentially better because you're talking about uh, a, one of the best arms in last year's draft. Right. If he learns how to pitch. So to me, this puts us, and what this does, JJ, it puts us in the, there's a lot of discussion in prospect circles, blogs, whatever, about, uh, you know, how to separate prospects. And some people use ceiling and floor, and some people use, you know, letter grades. Some people use, um, you know, star ratings, these kind of things. The thing I like the best about this is this is how a lot of clubs do it. This is, and this this is to me. came in part from, we talked to clubs and said, what, how would you do it? Uh, well, and actually, for me, the genesis was really like, this is how they do it for amateur players, and I just thought we could adapt it mm-hmm. to what we do, and then, but we had to tweak it, and that's where, again, the collaborative part for Baseball America took over, which I like so much, is that one co- person can bring in an idea, and then everyone else has different perspectives, and that's how we tweak the grade, the, the grade whether it's really making a realistic ceiling and also more tied to a player's value. But I really think that the thing is making it 20 to 80, putting on that scale – uh, we do everything that way every anyway. We've done it for years and years and years. We do, it, years. On, we we do it on lunch. We do it on whatever uh, you name it. We do it. Uh, so applying that to our prospect handbook just made too much sense. And I really think the risk factor does put to rest for for good in my mind. People who misinterpret what we do as that we're all ceiling. And this is true of a lot of our college readers and college listeners who think that everything we do is based on pro scouts as if we don't talk to college coaches. I'll put it this way. You uh, love Michael Roth way too much for uh, for to, being a Baseball that, America guy? For the, to, for if, that, if that cliche was true. Well, I just uh, – now we're getting off topic. But I don't understand, like, how the Indians of all organizations, that is a low ceiling – 
draft. They draft a lot of college guys who are going to wind up being relievers. How could they not like Michael Roth more? They drafted him in the 31st round. I'm not saying they were ever going to sign him because they drafted him that low. If I'd take Michael Roth over half the dudes in their top 30. You know, John's, I mean, like, John's a big Michael Roth. Well, I mean, yeah. I just think that you, are. you, I mean, you yeah. have to account for the fact that this guy dominates that level. And uh, he dominates that level to a degree that I think is worth sitting up and taking notice. So, yeah, I do think he's a he, – you know, and, and this is still the thing that I think that actually the handbook, even the grades still might not allow us to do, J.J., is the outlier. I still think the outlier is the toughest thing for us to rank. And that means the outlier, a guy who's not a profile guy, a guy who's right. not a cl- – because uh, no. those guys are the toughest for scouts, and they remain very difficult for us. And they're, they're Whether difficult. Whether it's physical outliers or – just in terms of their tools, a guy the profile who's, outlier. A profile outlier, yeah. That's, now, a good and that's way to the put thing. It. We got a story that'll be in the issue that we're working on right now. Yeah. That will talk about that somewhat. And one of the things that jumps out with that is they are the most difficult to rank because the majority of those guys fail. That's right. And I think that actually. And the, that's so. So what the funny is, thing is, is these outliers, JJ, seem like they become comparisons because that's there's only one David Eckstein, so, so all, beca- all players like him get compared to him. Right. And the reality of it is, is that. We've now gone 10 years almost since David Eckstein arrived, and we haven't had another one. Yeah, I mean, like all the closest to Eckstein have been Pedroia, who's his own cat class yeah, now. I was going to say, he's, but he's way better. Like he Aaron was, Miles is kind of like the other Eckstein out there. He's never been close to as good as David Eckstein. Right, and that's so you get that. Or, you know, we've joked about how many Tom Glavin right. comps we've gotten over the years. Well, you get that because pretty much, again, Tom Glavin was an outlier. He was this lefty who lived on the outside corner with a right. changeup right. and an average fastball at best. And the and the and the apparently the, the the ardor of umpires everywhere. Right. <laughs> you had that, and so if a guy was having success in the minors, who was a you know athletic if smallish lefty who didn't have a great fastball, even if his changeup wasn't like that, that's right. You get that Tom Glavin comp on him. That's right. And the reality of it is, is that. No Tom, no other Tom Glavin showed up. No actual those That's guys. Right. Jamie Moyer, but he was a prospect Tom before Glavin Baseball was, America yeah. existed. I was going to say Jamie Moyer <laughs> actually was a contemporary. <laughs> yeah. I, I have my 1986 and 87 Jamie Moyer baseball card. Like That's he was right. a contemporary of Glavin coming up. Not you know, but you don't see you know or how many you know short right-handers, especially Latin right-handers, get compared to Pedro Martinez. Yeah, way too many. And. The reason they get compared to this is because this is the, well, if everything breaks right, this guy, see, Pedro Martinez proves that you can do it right. as a short right-hander. At the same time, though, there's one Pedro. That's right. To me, Ramon Ortiz is to Pedro Martinez as Jeff Supon is to Greg Maddox. When people want to compare people to Greg Maddox because he's a right-hander without a blazing fastball, but he's a command pitchability right-hander, they're really comparing him to Jeff Supon. Because and there's when one Maddox. That's right. And when they're talking about – a little live-armed right-handed Latin guy who's got a nice slide piece and maybe a decent change-up and a whippy arm. They think they they think they see Pedro, but they're really seeing Ramon Ortiz, and if you who was Ramon like a Ortiz, year younger than Pedro Martinez. And if you got Ramon Ortiz out of it, that's a that's good not player. a bad. That's exa- exactly that'd be good scouting. Well, that'd be a good return on your investment in and Latin America. And that is actually one thing that brings us back to the handbook here is is that is you look through this and you see the forty fives and the fifties. The thing that does jump out is, is you do have to remember, if you are a solid big leaguer, there's a lot of value in that. Absolutely. And that's the one thing that it is easy to get caught up in when we talk about the Bryce Harpers and all. Yes, you need a, a team needs some of those you know guys to, to have success. You need stars. 
but you also need productive, solid, big league, even sixth inning guys. You have to have those, or you have to go out. This is kind of now I will segue to an entirely different topic that kind of wrap. Maybe we'll wrap up yeah. with this, but obviously, big news this week: the Prince Tigers Fielder. signed you know Prince Fielder, and pretty big news. Pretty big news, and so. And I, I'm fascinated by that move, partly because what the Tigers have now done, which it's a it's an interesting approach. The Tigers have now sunk for the next I, I think it's for you know the next couple of years they have 168 million dollars tied into tied into essentially three first basemen slash DHs. Who's the third? Oh, Victor. I forgot about Victor. So, which is fascinating because the. You can make an argument. That's an entirely yeah, the tor- the tor- There are other ACL teams who go gonna... the entire different approach, which is don't sink right. all your money. You can find productive first basemen. I would say that most of the teams that are contending have actually sunk a lot of money in their first baseman. I mean, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the, even the Rays now with Carlos Pena. Not to that level, obviously. The Rays, but the Rays are, to me, the example of the team that's gone the opposite way in that they have basically sure. the Rays have – Sure. The Rays have sunk their money because you can make the argument also like, okay. But I, I would say – I would love to see percentage of payroll, what Pena's $7 million is to their payroll compared to these other first basemen. Right. I bet you it's comparable. But you're, we're talking about, again, we're, like the Rays had success last year and – Yeah, Casey they, Kochman. They went – Casey Bargain Kochman, basement. you know, they went, hey, we are going to let that position kind of – we're going to fill it with whatever just, we can. I'm just thinking of your other contending teams. I mean, the Braves are a contender that did not spend a lot of money at first they because have, they had a, a rookie in Freddie Freeman. Um, the Diamondbacks, Diamondbacks I guess, are the Goldschmidt. One. And they, did, they basically shuffled around guys until then. They said they did. our money is and, sunk in, you know, essentially – Right, higher up the spectrum. But they took, but they, but I don't, I don't know how much of that was by choice. They, they didn't think they were going to be contenders this year, and then they clearly were flailing at first base and promoted Paul Goldschmidt from Double A. I wouldn't say it was a last resort, but they certainly tried other guys. So that was almost happenstance. The Giants are well. I know they spent a lot of money on Albrey Huff, but Brandon Belt should be their long-term first baseman. The Rangers are really the only team that are a contender and haven't sunk a lot of money into first base. And Michael Young. Played a lot of first base for them, and they spend a lot of money on him. So most but, contending teams actually are spending a lot of money at first base. I think that the the Rays really are the exception. I think the bottom. I think that you want. I think teams are smarter today, and they want to not spend as much money on first base because they are there are a lot of very good first basemen. But I think the bottom line is you, you also these a, are real games. Right. This is not fantasy. No, and if, it's not played on a computer and you have to draw fans and you have to actually win and produce at first base. And when all your competitors are getting big production at first base, that puts even more pressure on you as a general manager to to fill that hole. Right. No, where I'm interested to see though is is that by putting essentially your three most expensive Right. Are all three most expensive offensive players for the Tigers going forward? And mm-hmm. admittedly, there's a chance that Victor Martinez never plays another game for the Tigers. Right. Let's just acknowledge but that. I have the other thing is Miguel Cabrera. The, his talk about him going to third base, I'm fascinated by. I, I, oh, he was I, a terrible first third baseman when he moved off of it the last time. I don't see how the intervening oh, years is going to have helped. I I don't know that it'll help, but uh, the, to me, if he can stay healthy and play third base, you put him over there. If he doesn't want to des- be a designated hitter, you put him at third base because he will still out-hit all the runs that he will cost you. So, to me, the whole question of him being a third baseman is his health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think, personally, I don't think he can stay healthy for 150 games playing third base. I don't think it's out of the question to mix him in over there. I, 
depending on what kind of you know he needed to show up in the cliche best shape of his life. We haven't seen we haven't seen Miguel Cabrera, uh, what kind of shape he's going to be in, in 2011, 10, 9 shape, no chance in Hades. But if he shows up in better shape than that, I would give him a chance and see if he can stay healthy over there. And that's the real the issue to me is his health, not how good his defense is, because he's going to be a poor defensive third he's base. There's bad. no doubt. But they got nothing offensively at third base last right. year. And that, Brandon Inns, they've had Brandon Inns there for years and years and years. But I, I did see. Uh, a tweet from someone that made, made the point: If you've got Cabrera at third, Peralta at short, Prince you don't Fielder, have any range. Prince Fielder at first is not, uh, you know, he's no Pujols at first defensively. Basically, what I'm thinking is that Miguel Cabrera defensively could equal going back to the days of our youth, Pedro Guerrero. You know, when I played status pro Major League Baseball back in the day, Pedro Guerrero was an E10 at and third base. And what you're hoping, if there was an error, if there was a chance of an error on the play, he made an error, and then you're hoping the ball's hit to somebody else, just like Pedro the, said. The best way I, to go another analogy is that you're hoping he's a Pedro Guerrero and not a Butch Hobson. Like, not yeah, where it doesn't destroy chip, him. That's right. Like, where you're saying, okay, actually, we can't have this guy out here. We, like, We've destroyed his confidence, and he's, his elbow no longer functions <laughs> like human beings' elbows are supposed to function. Again, goes back to the health thing. That's a nice way to end it, uh, going from the handbook to Miguel Cabrera playing third base. Mm, handbook. I think Miguel Cabrera's <laughs> getting hungry. I hope you guys are hungry for the handbook. We're excited that say, it's no, out. Well, you know what? We'll wrap it up this way. Coming up, what would Cabrera have been grade-wise, do you think? Oh, he probably would have been a 75. When he was in double A, actually, I guess the thing is that he was coming out of high A. He probably would have been a 70 medium because mm-hmm. I think he had already moved from shortstop to third base, but he hit like 40-some doubles in high class A in the Florida State League. I remember I've actually read his report recently. We were really, really high on his bat. And we were comparing him at the time, though. Even when he was moving from short to third, we were comparing him to Andres Galarraga. That's who Mike Berardino comped him to. And because it felt Venezuelan, and he physically became an Andres Galarraga uh, sooner than later. Oh, yeah, offensively, absolutely, better version. Um, He's not the big cat over at first, but. uh, Yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, so I think he was probably a 70 medium. And because we didn't get a chance to rank him, he was already lost his prospect eligibility when he had the big year in double A. That's right, yeah, he got up after 60 games. So I I I think of him, I think of like Mike Stanton would probably have been a. uh, He might have been an 80 medium. He'd have been an 80 medium or a 75. I'd say maybe a 75 medium. Yeah, maybe because the hitting for average is still in question. Right. But, uh, you know, like Matt Wieters would have had a pretty. Oh, I think Matt would have been in the 75 range. I don't think we would. I'm trying to think of the last time we would have had an 80. Steven Strasburg would have been an 80. He probably would have been an 80 medium. Right. You know, because he's a pitcher versus Harper. Oh, we said that, you know, we gave a safe to Moore, but Moore. The difference being, though, that Moore has already done it. And more does it as easy as anyone has probably ever done it. I mean, the 196 like, that easy. Here's a good way to put it. Like hard, we to, talked about, hard, like, to, hard to fathom. David Price was the best pitching prospect in baseball right. the Weeders year. That you know, he was a raised pitcher Mark not Pryor. that long ago. David Price, I think that I think that he would not have as high a grade as I'm pretty confident he would not have as high a grade as Matt Moore does now. This will be a fun blog post for tomorrow. I'll see if I can't go back and throw some retro grades on some players. I'll like be the ten years ago. On that. Well, yeah. I might try to go to a 2002 go where Mark Pryor will be in th- there. We can go through all the handbooks and say, you know, who is the I'm just thinking 10 years might be easy and just do a well, – You only add, well, you're only add two more if you do Yeah, that. you're right. I don't well, that, The reality is that first handbook, there weren't – Albert Pujols is the uh, – Yeah, but Corey – ooh, Corey Patterson is going to have an abnormally high grade. <laughs> I have to slap a high risk on we Corey. May, yeah, we may not mention the Corey Patterson one. Even on the cover of the first book, uh, he's still playing. Still a chance for Corey to break out. On that note, 
we'll wrap up this longish podcast. Hope you enjoy your prospect handbook. If you haven't ordered, please do so at uh, baseballamerica.com slash store or 800-845-2726. He's J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. Until next time, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.